Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. And let's go to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. A burning word on my heart this morning, so I'll look at somebody and say, buckle your seatbelts. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 18. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 18, and when you're there, somebody shout, Amen. It's a little lengthy. We've got about 18 verses to cover, but if you're patient with me, I'd I'd like to read this uh, in its entirety just to drive the point home. And it says this, starting in Acts 9, verse 1. And it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest to ask letters from him to the synagogues. In other words, he wanted letters to go and take Christians to either imprison them or kill them. And so he asked for letters to go to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found anyone who were of the way, in other words, Christians, it's a capital W there, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are thou persecuting me? And he said, who are you, the Lord? And then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's probably worthy just to park right there just for about 15 seconds and and underline the fact that Jesus is saying that you're persecuting me. In other words, Paul never met Jesus. So when people persecute you, they're not actually persecuting you, they're persecuting Jesus. Do you see that? Paul never met Jesus in the flesh. So when we receive persecution from people, they're not resisting us, they're resisting him. Cool little time to underline that and mark that in our Bibles. And he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told there what you must do. And the man who journeyed with them stood speechless and hearing a voice, but seeing no one, then saw arose from the ground. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. And the next verse is why I'm here. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight. Everybody say he was in the dark. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And there were certain disciples at Damascus named Ananias. And he said to him, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise, go into the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming 
and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, in the name of the Lord Jesus, excuse me, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. This man saw, I don't know if you all know it, how many have heard of Saul before in the Bible before he was converted to Paul? Paul was a vicious man. Paul was a religious man. He, was, he said he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, he was the main religious leader of that time. Hence, he was going to go to Damascus to ask for letters. He was going to go arrest all those who were of the way, in other words, Christians, in order to kill them or possibly put them in prison. He was a persecutor. He thought he was doing God's work at that time. Not only was he one of the head religious leaders of that time, but he was an intellectual. Bible scholars say that Pharisees by the age of 12, when they, were, when they were studying to become a Pharisee, could memorize verbatim the first five books of the Bible. They, they wore a scripture just above their brow. It's kind of funny because they wore it on their head, but God calls us to wear his word on our heart. Amen? They had a lot of head knowledge. But this guy who's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, thinking he's doing God, God's work, thinking that he knows God, doesn't know God at all. And it's kind of funny that God has to blind him in order to give him real vision of who Jesus is in his life, of who the real God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that he thinks he's serving, he's persecuting. Somebody say he was a smart man. Philippians in chapter 3, verse 3, it talks about how he was the chief of all sinners, yet he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, an intellectual. He begins to say, I'm smarter than you all, yet my smarts got me nowhere. I count them all as dung rubbish. Amen? Because he didn't know the Lord, but he thought he knew the Lord. And I begin to think about this uh, this past week uh, about how Jesus had sent this light to blind this man, this man who was an intellectual, who was smart. He had more degrees than the thermometer. He thought he was a great teacher. He thought he was leading people in the way of God's righteousness, yet he had it all wrong. Yet God had to send a bright light to blind him in order to enable him to see truth. So today I want to entitle this message today called Development in the Dark. Somebody say Development in the Dark. I know some of you are a little younger than me. Some of you a couple years older than me grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And for you young people, it wasn't so easy as to pull your Apple phone out or your iPhone or Android and snap a picture. As a matter of fact, uh, we would have to take our Polaroid. How many has ever owned a Polaroid? I know it's going to kind of give your, still have one. 
So for those of you who don't know, didn't grow up in the 80s and the 90s, when we wanted a picture developed, we had to go to Kodak, okay? And we had to wait three days, and you didn't get to just look at your picture and edit it and get rid of the red eyes on your mobile app there and make yourself look better than you really were. We had to wait three days in order to get the picture, and it was like a box of chocolates. You just didn't know what you were going to get in return. And I know these days we want everything so fast and to snap a picture and we put things up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we put our best life forward, right? We want everybody to see all the good parts of our life. We don't want to do anything in the dark. But I have to tell you this morning that God is still operating like Kodak did back in the 80s and 90s. He does his best work in the dark. And oftentimes, God has to send you into a season blindly into the dark in order for you to begin to depend on him and to get to know him on a deeper level. Somebody say, God uses the dark. And there are several different reasons why I believe God leads us into seasons of darkness. Now, I know God may have no intentions of blinding you while you're on your way home, but certainly there are a few people in this room who are facing something in their lives. They're in a season of their lives where you wish there was something that's in your life would change where you may feel in the dark, where you've been praying and praying, seeking God, but yet finding no answers. But there are reasons this morning that God allows you in seasons of darkness where there is uncertainty, where you're not sure if God is going to bring you out on the other side, where you're unsure whether or not this specific thing in your life is going to change or not. Are you ready? One reason why I believe he does that is because it creates reliance on him. See, we don't want to preach those kind of sermons anymore. We, we want to preach that, again, you want to turn around three times and God sends you a blessing, or if you pray in tongues one hour a day for a month, God is going to send the answer. But oftentimes, God will allow sometimes not just months, but even years of a perpetual thing in your life where you seem like God is not moving in your life. Everything seems bleak and God's not moving. You go to meetings, you see people laid out in the spirit, hundreds of people getting words of knowledge, yet you seem to be at the back of the line like you are not priority on God's list. But can I tell you, God used seasons of darkness in your life to create a reliance upon him, not reliance upon miracles, although I believe in miracles. I'm afraid of a generation. Now, I believe in miracles, signs, and wonders, but I'm seeing also a generation rise up who are esteeming miracles, signs, and wonders above their relationship with Jesus. There's got to be a balance. Somebody say balance. There's got to be a balance. I want to underline that scripture that I just read uh, of Paul. And, he's, and he said this, uh, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the man who, men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing none. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. In other words, he was blind. Somebody say he was blind. Now watch this. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. They led him by the hand. A man at his stature, this had to be extremely embarrassing. All the men, where are you at in the room? How many married men do we have in the room? I don't know about you, but I am okay with holding my wife's hands. But when it comes to holding another gentleman's hand outside, of, even when it's a gentleman and I'm on the front row, that's why I probably sit on the front row. I don't have to hold people's hands. I get real nervous. My hands get sweaty. And you know, when the preacher says, hold somebody's hands next to you, I kind of act like I'm not even looking. I just stick my hands in my pocket. 
Has anybody ever done that before? Am I the only one? Come on, you're in church. You have to be honest. I don't know about you men, but for me, holding anyone's hands other than my wife's hands makes it a little bit awkward, especially if they're leading me because men are born leaders. I believe that God was using this to humble him, to create reliance on him. And there are certain things and seasons and circumstances that God will construct in your life, not to break you, but to build your reliance upon him. To where you know, Lord, unless you do this specific thing in my life, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I've stood in prayer line after prayer line. I've got people to pray for me. I've read the word of God. I've spent time in my prayer closet. Yet you are not changing this thorn or removing this thorn in my life. It's God's way of creating a reliance upon him. How many want to rely on the Lord? A story about when I was in business, uh, been in business for about 18 years. I work full time and I pastor full time. How I do it, I don't know. And I have a 22 month old. Grace. Somebody say, Grace, pray for me. And I remember back in 2010, I had went through some transitions in my company, uh, made a lot of money, but then lost a lot of money. And I remember I would go not door to door. I would do a lot of cold calls. I remember going to Remax and trying to get contracts with them. Businesses I would never join forces with nor try to uh, get business from. I found myself going there because work had seemingly dried up. I remember one day I didn't want to go home and face my wife being transparent. Can we be transparent in the house of the Lord? I literally pulled into the parking lot and began to weep. Talking about bringing home the bacon. I couldn't afford a pack of bacon. And so I parked in that parking lot and I wept for two hours. I said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I was in the dark. I felt I had paid the price, already had been in business for about a decade. I didn't know what God was up to in my life. And I said this prayer to the Lord. I said, Lord, if this is not what you want me to do anymore, because I was in ministry at the same time during that period. And I said to the Lord, and he didn't say anything back to me. I said, Lord, I'm going to give this one more year. I'm going to give it year number 11. And if something doesn't change, I'm going to see that as you want me to take a different career path. Inside of 12 to 18 months, I had 15 employees. And for the past almost decade, we have never, ever been in want. Why do I say that? Because I believe it's not that God couldn't bless me in that season, but I don't believe my heart was right. I don't believe I was relying enough upon him because I'd came to a season in my life where I began to rely on resources. Come on, you can, what happens when God blesses you so much? This is what David said, Lord, don't give me too much food, lest I go and steal something. Lord, don't bless me too much, at least I end up transgressing your law. And so sometimes when God blesses you too much or too fast, you begin to lose reliance on the Lord. But when he stops up your wells, when he removes the raven from your life, when he stops answering specific prayers and your timing, it has a way of driving you to the Father. It has a way of creating this reliance in your heart upon the Lord. Amen? When God is not moving, know that he is moving. When it doesn't seem that he's at work, he's at work. I, I love this saying, and it, it, it goes like this. God whispers in our pleasures, yet he shouts in our pains. It seems to me that God does his best work in the dark. Somebody say God does his best work in the dark. 
And so God began to allow me to experience this huge amount of blessing. We got up in the six figures and we were doing amazing for about five years. It was just amazing. 15 employees, work was pouring in. And then all of a sudden, right when I got comfortable, I heard those faithful words. You stopped relying on me. Now I want you to sell I want you to contribute the funds that you've worked for these, this, next, this past decade, and I want you to start a church, and I want use, you to use all the funds that you've accumulated to do it. Talking about being led into the dark. Talking about being led from one mountain into the valley and into, into another valley. Amen? God will oftentimes, and here's what he said to me, you still love me, but you've stopped relying on me. You can sit in here and we can do our hair and dress up real nice and we can love Jesus. But here's the big question. Are you relying on him? Yesterday, I was hearing a talk from Michael Koulianos and he was uh, giving some insight of to Catherine Coleman's ministry. And he said every time before she would come out on the platform, there would be a pool of tears on the floor before she would get up. We're talking about reliance on the Lord. People want to study these days. They want to get information, but nobody wants to get before the Lord and, and, and have this reliance on him. We want to rely on fog, and we want to rely on lights and productions and great preaching and a three-point sermon and see you by, bless you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. This is not the kind of relationship God wants you to have with him. He wants to create circumstances that drive you to your knees to create reliance upon him because God will never create a life whereby you do not need him. He creates lives because he wants relationship. He creates lives that drive us to the Father. He created us for relationship. And when you begin to stop relying, it breaches the relationship. How many want to be close to the Lord this morning? And so I begin to think about how seeds oftentimes have to go into dark places before they produce fruit. If you think about a child, we dedicated babies this morning, and I think about how if those babies were exposed to light or UVs too early, the babies would be aborted. So there's something to be said about when God puts something in the dark. When I think about an oyster, how many... I, I ate like a bucket of oysters this past. Uh, don't, tell, don't tell on me. I didn't tell my wife. She's watching right now, honey. I'm sorry. Forgive me. They're very expensive. They're like $100 a bushel these days. I, I used my, my mattress money. Don't worry, honey. I was sh- they were shucking these oysters, and they found this little, found this little oyster that's about as big as my pinky nail. I began to think about how oysters are created. They're created in the dark. They're created by a little grain of sand getting stuck inside of the oyster's mouth, and the oyster gets irritated, and so it begins to put off this chemical. But all this is developing in the dark. And when God wants to really develop you in your life, what he uses, he uses darkness and he uses irritants to grow you and mature you. Faith doesn't grow in just the light. Remember the seed sower? Some fell by the wayside. Some fell among stony ground. Those seeds that fell in the light didn't last long. The seeds that went and got sown into the dark, those are the ones who got rooted and they, they bore fruit, which is 100-fold, 60-fold, and 30-fold. We grow our best and we become more Christ-like than we ever have before in seasons of great darkness and oftentimes great pain. We do not grow in pleasure and ease and comfort. We learn to rely on him in the tough seasons of life. 
And plus, you cannot have all the answers in your life and do and accomplish great things and go through ease, comfort, and pain and be just. Let me explain that to you. The Bible says, now the just shall live by faith, not by sight. In other words, you can't even be a just person if you have all the answers and you've got all the dots connected. And I know, you know, you got a five-year plan and I believe in five-year plans, but usually God does it a whole lot differently than you would expect it to. Amen? Or he, you would expect him to. Point number two is darkness creates perspective. It creates perspective. Now, you probably think I sound like an oxymoron right now. I almost thought so too as I begin to think that over and over again. Now, what do you mean by perspective? If I'm in the dark, I have anything but perspective. I can't see five feet in front of me. I can't see how this marriage is gonna work out. I'm not, I can't see how these finances are gonna come through. Come on, y'all aren't gonna be real in here. Somebody got some needs? I don't, I don't know where my next career path is going to be. I don't know where this church is. I don't know where it's going to go for me in this season of my life. Everything seems to be crashing and burning. Everything seems to be dark. I have no perspective. You have to understand how important perspective is, is because I started thinking about how blind, uh, people who are blind and without sight, they begin to compensate for things that they don't have. They begin to, they can sense somebody in the room. They, they can, they, they have, their, their senses are heightened by the lack of sight. And so I, I guarantee if you just take a moment in the midst of whatever this dark season looks like in your personal life, wherever you don't have clarity, if you take the time long enough and be still and know that he is God, you will begin to sense God working in that situation. Where you did not see him before, you begin to see him in ways you had not seen him before. And you may not fully understand this, but in order to understand how much you need perspective in the dark, you have to have a Zoe in your life. <laughs> My daughter Zoe is 22 months old, and um, she has toys literally across my whole house. And so I begin to name certain sections of the house. I call um, my foyer, fall on your face foyer. She has cars and you know, baby dolls, and I can't tell you how many times I've fallen in the dark, and, and I call the uh, hallway in the house, hurt yourself hallway, and of course, uh, stub your toll central is the living room, and so I've learned this very keenly, and unless you have a baby, you don't understand how important it is to see in the dark. Have you ever come out of the bathroom, and everybody's sleeping, and you shut the light off, and you bump into a wall? Am I the only one who's done that before? But if you would, so what I've been doing lately, I stepped on the dog's tail the other night too. I felt terrible. But here's what I began to do. I opened the door this past week and I, I give myself about 30 seconds and allow my eyes to adjust and my senses to heighten. And I begin to see clearly. Sometimes when we're in the dark or we're in the thick of it and we can't really see God at work in our lives. But if we were to simply take a moment in our lives to get some perspective to ask God, what are you trying to show me in this? I think that we too quickly, we are so quick to say, God, get me out of the season. We are too quick to bind that devil or rebuke this certain mountain. When God is using this mountain or using this enemy or using this person talking about you or using this lack of finances or using this hardship in the marriage to sharpen you, to create reliance upon him, to give you perspective, new perspective in your life. Somebody say, developing in the dark. 
developing in the dark. Developing in the dark. Number three, it gives you perseverance. When you go through dark seasons of your life, you have no choice but to persevere. I love this verse in Psalms verse 23, excuse me, Psalms chapter 23, verse four, and it says this, even when I walk, hold on, I underline that when, even when I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, this is in the uh, NLT version, even when, somebody say even when. What God is saying in here, David is saying it's not, it's not if you walk through the valley. It's when you walk through the valley. God will be there. In the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me and comfort me. When you walk through. Because God uses dark seasons in our lives to get us to the promise. God uses hardship to get us to the promise. God uses hardship to drive us to our knees and to pursue him passionately, and the answers are then birthed out of that. Amen? Amen. This whole notion that if you give your life to Jesus, that everything is going to turn out, I know that's a good way to evangelize and get people out of being in the clubs and you know uh, doing drugs or being far from God or putting a work above their family or whatever it is. It's a great evangelism tool. He's going through that hardship or she's going through that hardship because they're not serving the Lord or because they're not going to church. Friend, let me tell you, that's an erroneous idea. As a matter of fact, when you come to know the Lord, he will allow, notice I said allow, he will allow difficult situations in your life with the ultimate goal of growing you and sharpening you and developing you and creating Christ-like character in you. Come on, somebody say amen to that. To develop you so that when he does bless you, you don't forget the gift giver. Amen? Amen? so that we don't forget him. So he'll allow the pressure, he'll intensify, he'll turn up the heat, he'll allow difficult things to come your way so that you will begin to rely upon him. The Lord will oftentimes use valleys and hardships in your life, and I know this may not seem biblical, but just give me a moment, to teach you to fight. Somebody say perseverance. I want you to notice in the New Testament who Jesus chose to get him to his destiny. Did he use Peter? No, although he used Peter, he didn't use him to necessarily get him to his destiny. Did he use Matthew, the tax collector? Sure, they were his disciples, but he didn't use them to get him to his destiny. The main person Jesus chose to get him to the cross was Judas. And God will use your enemies to enable you to persevere. Come on, somebody say amen to that. God will use the enemy in your life to get you to teach you to fight. Can somebody say amen to that? When you're walking through a storm, I don't know about you, but I, I don't do well in ease, comfort, and pleasure. When God allows difficult circumstances in my life, that is the very thing that drives me into the prayer closet. That is the very thing whereby I learn, begin to learn God's voice. It's not when all my bills are paid and I'm tiptoeing through the tulips and everything is comfortable and my bills are paid and wife is happy, kids are doing well in school. That is not the seasons in life that I grow the most. When I am driven to my knees is when the enemy is at me, when the enemy is whispering, give up, when things aren't paid off, and maybe there's some struggle in your physical body. Those are the things that God will oftentimes allow. Notice I didn't say 
in part or create. He will allow those things to teach you to fight and wage warfare on the enemy because it's in your perseverance that you end up with the promise. It's when you pursue. Somebody say pursue. Pursue and persevere. And fourthly and lastly, dark seasons of our lives develops character. We want everything right away these days. We think we can pray a prayer and everything just begins to smooth out and God fulfills his promises to us. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is all about sticking you in situations to develop your Christ-like character. You know, I love this saying. It says this, God will not allow your gifting to bring you where your character cannot keep you or sustain you. Did you hear that? God will not promote you to an area in your life where you are gifted, but your character can't keep you there. What do I mean by that? There are far too many ministers, in my opinion, who are being promoted too quickly. Too quickly. The Bible says, least Satan begin to tempt him. Let him not be a novice. Let him not be a starter. Before I even begin to my associate pastor, I think I was serving the Lord for 15 years, and you got guys who are running into the pulpit and been serving the Lord for three years these days. No character, no character, because character gets you ready for the light. Darkness gets you ready for the light. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so things that I resisted the most in my personal life have been the very things that catapulted me and developed Christ-like character in me. I remember I could not understand why I lost my dad at nine years old. I couldn't understand. Who could understand my dad was viciously murdered when I was a nine-year-old boy and sent me in a tailspin, and I couldn't understand, God, why would you allow this to happen? Why did you make this happen? And as the years begin to go by, I begin to finally understand this principle because there was this father wound created in me. And although God didn't make that happen, he allowed this circumstance in my life. And it created a desperate need for love from a father. And so I am completely, I am completely convinced this church would not have happened had my dad been here. Because what that did is it drove me to my knees. It drove me to seek answers from God the Father. And it drove me into that, that need, right? He, he allowed this hole to be in my heart that only he could fill and that only a loving father could fill. The worship team could come up. What difficulty, what darkness surrounds you this morning? What area of your life do you lack direction? What area of your life do you seem that there are no prayers being answered? What area of your life do you seem like the Lord is just not aware of? where you feel like, Lord, I feel trapped. I don't know how this will ever change. I don't know how this marriage will ever change. Just look straight ahead. You don't have to look at your spouse right now. I don't know how this financial condition, I don't know how this minute, you're calling me out to minister, Lord, yet I don't, I don't have all the resources. I don't, I don't have the funds, Lord. This is, I'm, you're leading me into the dark, Lord. I don't know which way to turn. Can I tell you? You may not know where to turn. You may not know all the answers. You may not have light in this situation, but there is someone who's in the dark with you who's holding out his hand and saying, let me lead you through the dark. Let me lead you through the dark. My office is just behind you to my right, and my aunt had bought me a picture of Jesus holding a little boy's hand, 
He's walking through the grain fields. And every day I look at that, every day, because it humbles me all over again. It gives me perspective. It, it, it reminds me that I should never get to a place in my life whereby I do no longer rely on him, where I'm no longer developing. Because once you stop growing, once you stop relying on him, the Lord might as well take you home. But God is all about developing us, creating this reliance in us, creating circumstances whereby we persevere and, and move through the storms of life and grow until Christ is formed in us. That's what the Bible says, until Christ is formed in us. I want to share this last verse with you as you stand. In Matthew 13, I was referencing the seeds and how some fell on stony places. Some fell on good ground. Some fell among the thorns. And here's my prayer in this season of your life and for my life is that when God decides to pluck you and put you into the deep soil, you don't resist the dirt because in the dirt, there's darkness, but that we would allow the Holy Spirit Maybe I should say it like this. We should allow the dirt to do its work. Did you hear that? That seed probably is thinking in himself, no, I can, there's another way to go about this. I, the, I know I'm supposed to be fruitful. There's got to be a better way than just burying me in the dark. But we have to stop resisting the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, let this dirt, let this situation, let this dark situation develop Christ-like character in me. Let it produce some type of perseverance in me. Let it produce some type of reliance upon you and upon your presence, Lord. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.